If you've been a follower of Jesus, you've been transferred over here, and this is the room of righteousness and freedom where God is king. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, If we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here. If you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you're with us, and we hope to meet you here in person soon. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we are going to be, and today is Baptism Sunday. I love Baptism Sunday. Yeah, that's right, because we get to celebrate. Woo! Yeah. We've had a lot of people who've decided to give their lives to Jesus over this series. We're going to get to watch four at least in this service uh, be made new by surrendering to Jesus in the act of being baptized. And I am excited, excited, excited about that because you know what? Something happens in that moment. That when somebody decides to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to throw my life upon your mercy, and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And in in that moment, when they go down into the water and they are raised again to new life, there's just something that happens. And I want you to know that if you're sitting here this morning and you've been hearing us talk over this series about giving your life to Jesus and being made new and all of this, but you think, you know what, maybe I missed my shot. Maybe I'm too late, or that's for other people. It's not for me, or maybe I gotta get my mess cleaned up. Once I get some of this stuff together, then I can come to God. It's like that thing we do with the dentist, you know? You know how we all brush our teeth before we go to the dentist, right? Like, why do we do that? My dentist might even be here in this service, if so, I apologize, but like, why do we do that? It's the dentist's job to clean us up, right? And I, I want you to know that if you've been making those little excuses in your head, this is still for you, and today can be your day. We got a lot of t-shirts, we got a lot of shorts, we got a lot of towels. The prayer team's gonna be around the edges of the room at the end of the service like they always are, and we are ready for you if God is calling you to respond. So I would just encourage you to listen to his voice today because we believe that he will speak. Um, and as we watch these people go down into the water today, And we know that God is doing something in that moment. And whether this is all brand new to you and you're not sure what in the world we're talking people or why we have a swimming pool in the middle of the room right now. or, or, Or maybe you're hearing us talk about baptism and you're reflecting on your own conversion story and your own baptism journey. And... And the years since then, it kind of just begs the question, can people really change? Like, can people, can people really change? When, like, is this just a, a symbol, some kind of weird initiation rite that we do? When they come up out of the water, are they just wet? Or does something actually happen? Can people really change? And if you're anything like me, I got baptized over 20 years ago and I'm I'm looking back over my journey since then. Been a lot of ups and downs, been a lot of twists and turns and I'm still dealing with some of the same old stuff. So so can can I I really change? Can people really change? Uh, Have you heard the one about the the Amish family that goes for the very first time to the shopping mall together? They've they've never seen anything like this, right? They, They walk into the shopping mall and they're just blown away by everything that they see, you know, the lights and the the music and all the shiny objects you can buy and Chick-fil-A in the food court, right? It's just this amazing experience. And so the the Amish mother, she kind of walks off to JCPenney and and the father and the son are just kind of wandering the halls, looking around, kind of in awe at everything they're seeing. When all of a sudden, the, the, the dad and his son, they see these two silver doors that are at first closed together, but then they slide open. And then they slide back shut. And they're looking at this and they're amazed. They've they've never seen an elevator before. And 
and they're just, they're standing there looking at these doors when, when this elderly old woman kind of walks up past them to the silver doors and she pushes a little button and the button lights up and in a few seconds, ding, the, the doors open and this sweet old lady walks inside and the doors shut. And they're thinking, what, what, what just happened? What's, and, and then all of a sudden these lights on top of the doors start to light up and there's numbers in sequence. They go one, two, Three, and then a few seconds later, the lights walk it backwards. Three, two, one, and the doors open, and this beautiful young blonde walks out. This just very attractive woman, and, and their eyes are wide. Son says, Dad, what, what just happened? And, and, and the dad, he doesn't miss a beat. He says, I don't know, son, but go get your mother. <laughs> Thanks for laughing, you make me feel good. Uh, man, I don't know about you, but like there's some days that I just wish I could push a button and be different, you know? Like ding, three, two, one. Now you're more patient and you're, you're more kind and you're more gentle and you're less distracted and you're a better listener. And I wish it worked like that sometimes, don't you? And, and instead, it feels like a lot of my life I spend playing spiritual whack-a-mole. You guys remember that game from the arcade with the big like rubber mallet thing and those little moles, they pop their heads up and the, and the goal of the game is like, wham! Every, every, every time they smack up, you smash them back down. And, and I feel like that's what I do every day. It's like, oh, look, there's anger again. Bam! And there's some impatience. Bam! And you just told a white lie. Why did you do that? Bam! And I thought I was past that, but there's the anger again. Bam! And it's just exhausting, isn't it? Yeah. So can people really change? Um, we're in this series right now through the book of Romans where this guy named Paul is walking us through the gospel. And we've said that's just the big Bible word for the good news of what God has done through Jesus to save the world. And Paul's theme verse for this whole book, we've read it before, we'll read it here again, is Romans chapter one, verse 16, where he says this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed to talk about what Jesus has done to change my life, Paul says, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul seems to actually believe here that yes, through the power of Jesus, people can change. And if you know anything about Paul's story, you know that from, from his own life. He, he, he went through this himself. And so Paul spends this whole book kind of exploring the new life that Jesus can give us, and you're gonna see people later on in this service wearing t-shirts to say made new, and Paul uses some big words to describe what it means to be made new. So we talked about being justified, justification, that you can be made right with God just by putting your faith in God's son, Jesus. We talked about the word reconciliation, that, that God can restore us to a right relationship with himself, that we were God's enemies when we rebelled against him, but now through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Last week, we talked about resurrection, how when you put your faith in Jesus and you are baptized, that's the moment when you're united with him, he and you, you and him, you are buried with him, your old self is dead and gone, and you are raised with him to a whole brand new kind of life. And now today, the big word we're looking at is liberation liberation. Because here in Romans chapters five through eight, Paul's kind of exploring the new life that is available to us through Jesus. And I think that if Paul were here this morning, he would tell you that above all, this new life is a life of freedom. It's a life of freedom. 
And specifically, if you have been baptized or for these who are going to be baptized here later on, there's two kinds of freedom that are available to us that I just wanna remind you of here this morning. And, and the first one is this, but actually, before we get into the first one, let's read the text. I got ahead of myself here. This is a long chunk of text. We're gonna read all of Romans chapter six together, verses one through 23. It's gonna be a long chunk, but this is God's word to you. This is God telling you what he can do, what he will do, what he has done for you through sending his son. And we don't do it like this all the time, but I'm gonna ask you to stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word just to show him reverence. And I'm gonna read out loud the words in yellow. I'd encourage you to read out loud, please, the words in, or excuse me, vice versa, again. I'll read the words in white, you read the words in yellow. Sound good? All right, there we go. This is what Paul writes. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now... Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, 
The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I think that if Paul were gonna sum up Romans chapter six for you in just six words, he might say this. Because of baptism, sin no more. Because of baptism, sin no more. It's not because the water is magic, not because we sprinkle fairy dust on you before you get baptized or anything like that, not because it's a silver bullet, but because God does something in that moment to unite us with Jesus, buried with him, dead to our old ways, raised with him, now alive to God with him living in you. And God does that, and that means that you no longer have to stay in your brokenness. You're liberated, you are free. Let me tell you that one more time, just in case you didn't hear it. This goes for you. You are free. Amen. Specifically, I just want to remind you today of two kinds of freedom that God has given you. Here's the first one. You are free to live in a new realm. You're free to live in a new realm. Paul kind of describes here in chapter six that we just read, like it's two different rooms. Like one room over here is living in sin. When you are a slave to sin and brokenness and your old ways and your own self, broken, lost, utterly unable to help yourself. That was one room over here. But now over here in this room, if you've been a follower of Jesus, you've been transferred over here. And this is the room of righteousness and freedom where you are now living in the realm where God is king and you belong to him. It's two different rooms. And Paul says it's not like you can just stand on the threshold here with one foot in each room. You can't do it. You're either in one or you're in the other. You don't get to have it both ways. Listen to me, I'm saying this in love. But if you are not a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized into Christ, you are still in the room of rebellion against God. And you are a slave But if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized with him, united with him in his death and in his resurrection, then you don't live over here anymore. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You belong to God. He is your master. He is your Lord. And he has saved you and brought you into a whole new realm. You are free. You're free. Every part of yourself, you're free. I don't know if you paid attention in history class or not, but you you, you might remember hearing about the Crusades. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the Crusades were, were these Christians, mostly European Christians or people who called themselves followers of Jesus who decided to go on these big military conquests, these wars to try to take back the, the holy land to try to you know, go get all these relics and kinds of things. And there's all kinds of funny things that have been written about the Crusades, but it wasn't a funny time at all. All kinds of horrific things happened in the name of Jesus. Uh, terrible violence was done against uh, Muslim people in particular in that moment. It was a very dark time in the history of the church. And to justify their violence, a lot of the time before they would go on a crusade, these soldiers would be baptized. But as they were baptized, so the story goes, they would hold their swords up out of the water to say, yeah, I'm gonna surrender to Jesus. I'm gonna give him every part of me except except this. I still wanna have control over my sword. I'm I'm not giving that part to him. And listen, I, I see a lot of people who live like that and I know that because I still struggle to live like that. To think, yeah, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you me, except for like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hold my wallet up out of the water, right? Or, 
or, or, or, or my love life, no, that, that's still mine, or the, the things I'm gonna laugh out, the, the, way I, the way I talk, the way I, the way I work and go about my career, th- those, those things are still mine. I'm, I'm not willing to give those up yet. And yet Paul says, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized into him, you live in a whole new realm, you're all in. Nothing gets to stick out of the water. It's all his. It's kind of like way back in the Old Testament in the Bible, you might remember the story of when God's people, the Israelites, get to come into the promised land and they, they cross the Jordan River to get to this land that God has promised them and, and God parts the waters of the Jordan. I got to go to the Jordan River and take this picture earlier this spring and, and this is actually the spot where a lot of people think somewhere near here is where they crossed the Jordan River. This is the same spot where Jesus himself was baptized and when that water parted and they walked through on dry land, they weren't slaves in Egypt anymore. They weren't wandering around in the desert for 40 years like their parents were anymore. They lived in the promised land. They lived in a new place and they were never going back. And Jesus got baptized in that river to symbolize that same thing, that when you are baptized, you live in a new realm. Now, if you look at that picture, like the river's not very impressive, y'all. It's pretty gross, actually. It took me like three days to get that mud from out between my toes. It's a nasty river, right? It's not impressive. The water back in there, in that baptistry, I promise it's not impressive, we are just dumping buckets of warm water in there about five minutes ago because it's actually pretty cold. It's just tap water. You can drink it. It's nothing special. The power is not in the water, but God does something like he did at the Jordan River, like he does in baptism. He does something in that moment to bring you to a new place so that now for the rest of your life, when the enemy attacks you, taunts you, tries to drag you back into those ways, you get to remember your baptism as the moment when you planted your flag and you get to say to the enemy, no, I don't live in the wilderness of sin anymore. I live in the promised land where Jesus is king and I'm his. You are free to live in a new realm. Martin Luther was a, a, a church leader about 500 years ago. He kind of led the Protestant Reformation. You might uh, recognize his, his name. Um, and, and Martin Luther had this great ministry, but like a lot of great spiritual leaders or people we would look at as great Christians, they also wrestled with profound depression and disappointment and difficulty in their own personal relationships with God. And Luther said that, that every single night, the devil would come to him, he said, and attack him, try to discourage him. The enemy would just whisper these lies in his head. And so Luther, after a long time of this, he, he found two particular ways that he would try to combat the enemy's lies, that he'd try to chase the devil away and remind himself that he belonged to Jesus. And, and, and the first thing that Luther would do is when those moments of discouragement and attack came and he was struggling to listen to the voice of truth, Luther, Luther would just verbalize. He would say out loud, he would speak into the silence and he would say, Satan, I am baptized I'm no longer under your jurisdiction. It's pretty good. He reminded himself that he lived in a new realm now, that he'd been dead and raised with Christ, that Satan had no claim on him. You can say the same thing. If you've been baptized, you can say, enemy, you got nothing on me. You've got no jurisdiction. I live in a new realm now. Now, the second way that Satan, or excuse me, that Luther would combat the enemy is not actually in the Bible. He kind of made it up. I've been wrestling all week with how to talk about this and the right terminology. I don't exactly know what to use in the least offensive way, so just please, no emails, please. Can can we just agree to that right now, okay? The second way that Luther would combat the devil was he would pass gas. That's what he would do because he figured, well, the the devil, he's probably really proud, so probably the best way to to chase him off would just be to fart in his face. And... (laughs) Make it like to Dutch oven the devil a little bit, you know what I mean? And I don't know if that's biblical or not. Scripture says nothing about the backside of the armor of God. We only get the front side. Um, 
But here's the bottom line. <laughs> you are free to live in a new realm and he's got no claim on you. That's the bottom line, all right? You're free. Here's the second kind of freedom. You're free to live in a new realm and you are free to listen to a new voice. You're free to listen to a new voice. Um, a lot of you, especially if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, we believe this cognitively in our heads to be true. Yeah, okay, I know that I'm free. And yet, we're still kind of drawn back to those old ways. Like, man, why did I react like that? Why do I still have trouble forgiving that person? That was, that was so long ago. Why can I still be so sharp and impatient? Why am I still so selfish with my time? Why, why, why did I just gossip? That was so... And we just fall back in those old things. Or man, I've been trying to kick that habit for so long and I've gone months and good and yet here I, I did it again. Why? Why? Maybe you've heard the statistics about like uh, the American prison system that a full two-thirds of the people who get out of prison will end up going back just because they don't know how to function in the real world of, of freedom. Or, or you might be familiar with Stockholm Syndrome Back in 1973, where there was a, a hostage situation in Stockholm, Sweden, four people were taken hostage. They were in great danger. Their lives were threatened. And yet those hostages actually ended up forming a bond with their captor rather than with the people who were trying to set them free. They developed an attachment to the person who was imprisoning them, threatening them, leading them toward death and not life. And they were drawn to him instead of to the people who were trying to rescue them. And they ended up refusing to testify in court against the guy who'd taken them hostage. They ended up even raising money for his defense in court. Man, why do we do this? Why do we find ourselves drawn to the things that enslave us? Why do we find ourselves going back to the things that we know will lead us to death because we've been here before? Why do we refuse to walk into the freedom that Jesus gives? Why do we spend our lives in this spiritual Stockholm syndrome? You might remember here in Romans chapter six that we just read, Paul uses the illustration of slavery. And, and that would have been a, a really, um, an illustration that would have hit home to his audience because anywhere from one third to two thirds of the entire Roman empire at the point that Paul's writing this would have been slaves. So a lot of the people in the early church, a lot of the people hearing this letter read out loud to them for the first time would have been slaves themselves. Now, slavery in the Roman Empire was a lot different than we typically think of slavery, like the horrific things that African-Americans had to go through in, in our society that was a race-based slavery. That's not quite how slavery functioned in the Roman Empire. Most of the time, it wasn't race-based. Sometimes it would be people who'd been taken captive in war or things like that. But a lot of time, it was poor people who chose to sell themselves into slavery as a means of providing kind of financial and social security for their families. So imagine... So you're a slave hearing this text read to you. Imagine even, maybe let's say, imagine that you're a slave in the Roman Empire and you have finally saved enough money to buy your freedom. And you, you bought your freedom, you even had a little bit of money left over, so you even bought yourself a house. It's actually right next to your old master's house, except he's not your master anymore, now he's your neighbor because you're free, right? He owns his property, you own yours. And yet, your old master, he's still kind of a jerk, and so in the morning, you, you, you can hear him over in his house as, as you wake up and you're over in your house, you can still hear his voice. He says, hey, get over here, make my breakfast. I'm hungry. This place is a pit. The floors haven't been swept in a week. What are you doing? 
And my guess is if you're that slave and you're hearing that voice, yeah, in your head you know you're free, you know it's been paid for, you know you don't belong to him anymore and he has no claim on you and yet you were a slave for so long that when you hear that voice there's probably still something deep down in your gut that your initial reaction is to obey and to, and to go just do what he says. And it's the same thing in, in our walk with Jesus. It takes years of following Jesus to realize that we don't have to listen to that old voice anymore, we don't have to obey that. Now we get to listen and to obey Jesus, the voice of freedom. And Paul knows that it's hard to do that, to break those old habits and ways of functioning. And so that's why Paul says here in verse 11, he says that when you hear that old voice of your old master, you have to remember, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's an accounting term. It's a mathematics term. He says, count it up, do the math, add it up. You are free. So that when your body wants to run back to those old ways, your mind has to do the math to remind yourself that you live in a new realm and you get to listen to a new voice. Now, our world would love to tell you that the new voice you should listen to is your own. The narrative that society would love to stuff down your throat is that you need to be true to yourself. You need to do whatever makes you happy. You need to follow your truth because nobody else has the right to tell you what to do. But God says that actually freedom is not the absence of restraint. That's called being adrift or being lost at sea. Ask somebody who's out on a life raft floating around in the ocean for a month whether or not they feel free. Freedom comes with appropriate restraint, like in marriage where we have this covenant, we have some expectations and rules of each other, but it actually allows the relationship to flourish and blossom in freedom. Freedom, God says, if you wanna follow me and find freedom, it means you have to listen to my voice, which means you have to commit the number one sin in our world, the number one taboo in our world of committing the act of self-disobedience and submitting to someone else's vision for your life rather than your own. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow me. Paul says here in Romans chapter 6 that if you are a follower of Jesus because you've surrendered to him in baptism, then you've switched masters now. Sin is not your master. Death is not your master. You are not your master. Jesus is your master. We're going to get to see some people be baptized today, and, and it still can be you, by the way. Your moment's not passed yet. And, and when we baptize somebody, we have them repeat the good confession. They say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means I, I believe that Jesus is God's anointed king, the son of the living God, and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. Now, Savior just means that God is the one, Jesus is the one who rescues you. It's a term that appears about 40 times in the Bible. Lord means that Jesus is your boss, that he's your master, that he's your king, that you're gonna go where he tells you to go, you're gonna do what he tells you to do, you're gonna say what he tells you to say, that when your will and Jesus' will come in conflict, you pick Jesus' over yours. And the term Lord appears 7,000 times in scripture. And if he's your Lord, that means that he's the voice you listen to. It means the aim of your life now becomes to be a person who's listening to God's voice when he speaks through his word, when he speaks through his Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, when he speaks through the people around you, that every day you wake up and you ask those two fundamental questions of following Jesus. God, what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do about it? Because yours is the voice I'm gonna listen to. You are free. 
to live in a new realm and listen to a new voice. Now, I have a confession to make to you this morning, something I've never told you from stage before. All right, you ready? I've been thinking about how to say this all week again, and I'm just gonna trust that you're gonna be a place of grace, all right? Here we go. I love tattoos. I just, I think tattoos are awesome. I've always loved tattoos, even before I got any. I think one of the best ways to start a deep conversation with somebody, to go to level three automatically, is to just say, hey, tell me your tattoo stories. Because a lot of the time, it's a big, meaningful moment in somebody's life, and it, it leads to an awesome conversation right there. I think tattoos are beautiful. Well, most of them, right? We've all seen some. It's like, I don't know if I want to know that story. I'll pick a different conversation starter, actually, you know? Um, and and I, I have a few tattoos. I, I like them a lot. And if, man, if, you, if you're concerned about that, that's okay. If you want to have a conversation about those verses in the Old Testament that talk about it, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Just remember, before you throw stones at me, I want you to go read Revelation chapter 19, because Jesus has a tattoo. Go check it out, all right? There's your cliffhanger for the day, right? Um, but I have a few tattoos, and, and most of them are like deeply meaningful stories of things that happen in my life. Then there's this one other one that's like a reminder of my life before Jesus, and only Rebecca gets to see that one, okay? Um, but the, the, the latest tattoo I got was this spring when I was in Jerusalem. I went with several of my friends, and we went to the oldest tattoo shop in the world. I would show it to you. I have trouble rolling up my sleeve, though, because my muscles are so huge. Um, <laughs> But you can see it on the screen, right? Okay, you can see it on the screen. So we went to the oldest tattoo shop in the world. The same family has been operating this tattoo shop continuously since the year 1300. The guy who gave me mine was 29th generation of the same family given these tattoos. And, and it, I, it was pretty awesome, guys. I was like, okay, I'll, I'm in. Like, I'll pay whatever you want me to pay. Um, and, and, and this particular tattoo is pretty meaningful to me. And it's an ancient symbol that pilgrims would get when they go visit Jerusalem. And so you see there are the two crowns at the top and the dove. The crowns are for the Father and the Son. The dove is for the Holy Spirit. You got the whole trinity. You see some stars around there with the sun and the moon. That reminds you of when the day turned to night as Jesus was dying. And then you have the Jerusalem cross below that. It's an ancient symbol. The big cross with the four smaller crosses in that quadrant. That can stand for the four gospel accounts in the New Testament or the gospel going out to all the world or love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then beneath that, you see the olive branches there that symbolize the peace and the victory that Jesus won for us when he died on the cross. Now, when I went to this tattoo shop, you can leave that up there. When I, when I went to the tattoo shop, uh, what they do is they, they take a stamp and that's uh, a piece of olive wood and they stamp that tattoo on you and then they tattoo over it. And this olive wood stamp, the guy told me, this piece of wood, he said, is 500 years old. He said, this has tattooed crusaders. I was like, okay, I'm in, you know? Uh, <laughs> but but I, I did hesitate for a moment about being identified with the Crusades, this really dark period in, in Christian history. Like, do I want that on my body? And I realized, oh, that's, that's not just the history story. That's, that's my story. I mean, how many times have I been the guy who goes down in the water and keeps my sword out, you know? And, and your whole life is this wrestling with consecrating your whole self to Jesus. And so I decided to go ahead and get it anyway, but I got a phrase tattooed beneath it you can see there. Um, it's a phrase in Aramaic. You, you actually read it from right to left. Aramaic would have been the conversational language that Jesus spoke. And the phrase is, newe sebyanach. Newe sebyanach. It means your will be done. It's the phrase that Jesus uttered as he taught his disciples how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Newe sebyanach. It's the phrase that Jesus uttered in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was preparing to go to the cross. And he didn't want to, but he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. 
And so I got this tattoo um, just to remind myself that I serve a king who didn't hold his sword out of the water. I serve a king who went all in and went all to the cross for me. And he is my master and he is my Lord and his is the voice that I'm gonna listen to from now until forever. So if you're ready to be a follower of Jesus today, we're gonna give out free tattoos this morning. And I'm kidding. It's not in the manuscript. Um, But every day when I look at that tattoo in the mirror, I think, you know what? People can change, and I can change, and you can change, because we serve a resurrected king. And you live in a new realm now, and you get to listen to a new voice. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for a minute, and we're gonna listen to his voice together. Um, At the beginning of the series, you might remember, I gave you two challenges. Number one, I want you to read this letter to the Romans, and number two, I want you to let the gospel move you. Be moved by the good news of what Jesus has done to rescue the world. Would you just ask the Lord to speak and to to move you? And listen. And maybe he just wants to move you to deeper gratitude. The prayer team's gonna be around the edges of the room here later on in the service with their green lanyards. Maybe he just wants to move you to take a step of courage and say, hey, listen, could you just pray for me? I got some stuff going on. Or maybe, maybe he needs to move you for the very first time to go all in and say, yeah, okay, I'm ready. And we're ready for you. And those lies that the enemy would love to whisper to you right now to say, no, I can do it later. No, not me. What would they think of me? Oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm so messy and I'm, I'm scared. And I should have had it figured out by now. Man, you live in a new realm. And you get to listen to a new voice. And so Jesus, we love you. And we want to be people who hear your voice and who respond when you speak. It is for freedom that you have set us free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So God, just bring your freedom here. Bring your freedom. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. Let's worship our King. 